0: This is 105.9 The Region. There are so many ways of communicating these days, but nothing seems to beat the one-on-one. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Welcome to In Conversation and thank you for being with us. This show is, in my view, up front, up close, and uplifting. Let's get right to it. When you hear the name Mark Tewksbury, what comes to mind? Olympic gold medalist, seven-time world record holder, Canada's first openly gay Olympian, chef de mission for the 2012 Summer Games. But there is so much more to Mark. He is a passionate and tireless advocate for equality, inclusion and human rights, a much-sought-after motivational speaker, a role model when it comes to leadership training, a champion of the Special Olympics movement and newly appointed companion of the Order of Canada. Mark Tewksbury joins us now in conversation. I am thrilled to speak with you, Mark. How are you?
1: Great, Anne. Thanks for having me on your program.
0: A pleasure. So, what was your response when the Governor General's office reached out to let you know that you'd been appointed to the Order of Canada? What happened? What'd you say?
1: Well, I mean, it's funny because the home phone rang, which doesn't my only my mom and, and my business partner have that number anymore. Nobody ever called it, so I um, I wasn't going to pick it up, but I did answer, and and immediately she said, "I'm from the Governor General's Office," and when she let me know that I was receiving appointed the Order of Canada, and then in the category Companion my first response was, are you sure? (laughs) I was like, wow. And uh, she assured me and and let me know a little bit about the deliberations. And uh, you actually have to formally accept. Like, there's, there's a real process because I was starting to get very emotional and I almost like really, I'm sorry. I have to hang up because I think I'm gonna break down. And she said, "Wait, wait, wait! I, I need you to formally accept. And will you do this?" And I said, "Yes, yes." And it, it was really a great call.
0: You know, it's it's not lost on any of us that you. One of your responses to this was that you we saw this as inclusion.
1: Absolutely, I, I for so long have been uh, an advocate for people. I think that sometimes maybe couldn't use their own voice because they felt so excluded or stigmatized by society and it meant so much to me to be included in the companion category of the order of canada it's really it's such a rare thing and uh, i'm only one of a very few handful of olympians i think just dick pound and Wayne gretzky are there. So it it was just overwhelming, extremely touching.
0: You showed tremendous courage when you made history by openly declaring to the world that you were gay. So why? And why then?
1: Well, I mean, I never imagined I would speak publicly about my private life, but it just, there was a moment where there were a couple of things. I I just can't stand injustice. And I was on the receiving end of a totally unjust thing where somebody I to a speaking contract because I thought I was, quote-unquote, too openly gay, and I actually wasn't even out, so I felt very discriminated against, and I also felt like compromised, that I wasn't living my true life, and those two things collided, and I just had to sort of speak my truth.
0: You know, it was such a taboo subject in sports in particular back then. What was the response from from the community and really from everyone?
1: Funny, you know, I'll never forget. There was a famous sport writer from the National Post that started his article with going, "Oh, Mark, why do we have to talk about this?" <laughs> and that was kind of the overwhelming response: "Was why are you bringing your private life into this? We don't care. It's just about sport." But I debunked that. You know, all sorts of people talk about their partners, and you know, you can't separate life like that. And it was it was threatening, people didn't like to talk about it, but I'm really glad I made that stop.
0: Were you able to then connect with other competitors struggling with their own identity?
1: Over time that happened, Dan, but it was a real journey. I mean, when I first came out, there was many years of still reconciliation for myself before I was in a really strong place to be a, a true role model and mentor for people. But absolutely, over the years, Dozens, if not hundreds, of athletes have, have reached out and it's become a real, real community.
0: Let's talk about the athlete. And I know that you're still very physically fit, but the pressure of competition at its highest level, world championships and the Olympics, how did you handle that?
1: That was a long time ago. (laughs) Let me dust off the (laughs) cobwebs. You know, and I learned some amazing fundamental skills that actually have created the business I I run today with Debbie Muir, the great traits. But essentially, I I learned how to understand the mind-body connection, that our psychology affects our physiology, and you can actually train that. So I spent a lot of time... Not just physically getting ready for that win in Barcelona, but very much mentally getting ready as well.
0: Let's talk about that, the gold medal in the 100-meter backstroke. What was that like when you saw, realized, and knew for sure that you had captured gold?
1: Funny enough, it was very similar to receiving the Companion of the Order of Canada. I was kind of a little shocked at first. And and it took a while for it to sink in. It's it, it, it really eerily similar because after I received the Companion, the news, it took it for four or five days until it really hit me. And at the Olympics, it was, I think, it, a track and field a, a athletics a medal ceremony. That I realized, oh, my God, I did that, too. <laughs> I won the Olympics. So it was a wonderful moment, but it took a few days to catch up to me.
0: Let's analyze the backstroke. I do a little bit of swimming and I find it one of the most relaxing strokes that there is, but obviously you approach it in a very different way. What is it about the backstroke that fits so nicely with Mark Tewksbury?
1: A really good question. i I I don't know. (laughs) I just was naturally inclined to it at an early age. I think many people don't like the backstroke because it's unnerving not to see where you're going. Um, So I think, funny enough, it involves maybe a little bit of risk-taking and people that are of that nature. And if you look at my life post-Olympics, I definitely have had that sort of challenge convention streak in me. So maybe there's a little bit of truth in all of that.
0: Let's talk about pre-Olympics. Let's talk about pre-competitive swimming. What was your first foray into the world of swimming, into the pool? (laughs)
1: Well, I learned to swim actually when I was just a little boy and my dad was transferred to Dallas, Texas. And it was just so hot in the summer that I learned to sort of splash about in a pool. And when I was a little bit older, about eight, the 1976 Olympics were on TV and I saw swimming. And that was the impetus to join a proper swimming club.
0: You have been a leader in so many ways with so many causes and so many reasons to speak out and to speak up. Let's talk now about Great Traits, you're the founder of that company and what you do is encapsulated in the Great Traits Corporate Champions program. Can you explain that and and who are you reaching out to?
1: Well, this is a program that's really brilliant for early leaders in their careers so supervisors managers directors we've really taken Debbie Murez, she was my secret weapon Olympic winning coach that year in Barcelona we distilled our experience Uh, from the Olympics into 24 traits and we take people along very much like an athlete gets developed over time through a a development pathway. We take people through a leadership development pathway and it's really fun. We do it over 12 weeks so it's it's little micro learnings but done over time so the learning really sticks.
0: The word applied leadership, applied is in there and according to you and your website that means you practice.
1: (laughs) Exactly because we believe Leadership traits can be taught. Some people are more natural leaders, or some of the traits come more naturally than others, but everyone fundamentally can learn these skills. And what we do is a little different. It's very light reading, but you preload your brain, you go to work in the week, and you apply what you've learned, and then you, the week later, assi- your assignment just summarizes your insights and findings into that application. So it's, uh, it's very much like you say, an applied practicing training program.
0: Have you always been a leader? I think about your time, your many years training in the pool. It can be a very singular endeavor. It can be a very much uh, a, an isolating experience to be in the pool and training and training and training. Where did you find what you needed to be a leader? Well, I think
1: the great thing about training and training is that you're surrounded by a group and so you have to be part of a a team. And I think I became became, became a really good team member and at times I would show leadership. So I remember being 14 years old and we were at a training camp and we were, had different coaches and they were all kind of competing against each other and giving us harder and harder workouts without realizing they were burning us out. And I was the athlete at one point that stood up and said to the coaches, like, stop, what are you guys doing to us? So I've always had a little bit of that inclination to speak up within me.
0: Do you think some of that was ignited by that declaration to the world that you were gay?
1: Well, I think that helped me ultimately make that declaration. Um, But I think that that was sort of in my core, even from the time I was an early teenager.
0: The pandemic has changed everything in the world right now. Everything we do is different. Every outcome is uncertain. There are so many issues that we are still grappling with. I, I can only imagine how Olympic hopefuls felt when the Tokyo Olympics were postponed until 2021. What did you hear and who did you help get through this?
1: Well, I'm on the board of directors of the Olympic Committee. So obviously I'm directly involved um, with decisions of going to the Olympics, how we get the team there, etc. Um, the, the, right now, though, you know, the, the athletes until they become part of the Olympic team, they're part of their sport federations. And each federation has its own challenges of qualifying. How do we hold qualifiers? Do we do it indoors, outdoors? How do we keep athletes safe? It, it is extraordinarily complex. And uh, I, I don't even, I can't fathom how people are figuring it out, to be honest, Anne, but but they are. It's incredible the plans that are in place. And we've seen some of these bubble situations working in professional sports and I think the Olympics is going to be inspired by that. It will have to be slightly different because people are coming from different parts of the world. But I'm feeling confident at this point still that the Olympics will happen later in 2021.
0: So what happens, though, and and it's already taken place, the postponement, but these athletes are working so hard day and night for very little, you know, financially the support that is that comes from being an Olympic athlete, an elite athlete, but day and night, training, training so hard, to hear that it's postponed for a year, where do athletes then find that motivation to keep on going or to, you know, say, okay, it's a year, but I can handle this? Where does that all come from?
1: Well, I mean, just let's acknowledge it's completely devastating, and everyone's different. I mean, it depends where you are on your journey. Some people were... 32 years old and hanging on for their last games, and this is maybe their fourth, they're a very different circumstance than somebody that's 17, and it's the first time their sport's ever been in the Olympics, and they're on their way. So I don't think there's one sort of blanket answer to that, but I can tell you that just acknowledging it's extraordinarily difficult to put your life stream on hold for a year, and even within that year, there's so much uncertainty still around it. So just a shout-out to the athletes that are on that track and hang in there.
0: The Paralympics, the Special Olympics, all of those parts of athleticism that don't necessarily get the recognition that they should. Why are you involved with Special Olympics?
1: Um, Well, I just, you know, Paralympics, thankfully, at least follow the Olympic Games and get the television coverage and our athletes that uh, have physical disabilities are so incredibly inspiring. Their, Their stories are amazing. Special Olympics is people with an intellectual disability, like Down syndrome or other things that come together and create community through sport. And what I love about Special Olympics is it expands my perspective. It helps me look at sport differently. Coming from the elite track, sport can become very stressful and intense. And Special Olympics reminds me of the joy of participation and the importance of self-esteem and all those side benefits that sport gives to people, including community.
0: Mm -hmm. You have worked hard all your life to make your life dreams come true. What's next? What is your new life dream, Mark? Um,
1: <laughs> I, can I rest on my laurels for a little bit? Yes. Um, <laughs> I just got the companion of the other of Canada. I'm just kind of living in the moment right now and, and enjoying all the different work I'm doing. But I can't say I've got a huge 10-year vision at this juncture.
0: And love in your life. I mean, that's what makes the world go round as far as I'm concerned. Are you happy? Are you in love?
1: I totally am. You know, if there's one dream for 10 years, it's that I'm still with my partner, Rob, and we're as happy as we are today, 12 years into this thing together.
0: Oh, You are marvelous. What a pleasure to speak with you, Mark Tewksbury. Thank you for joining us in conversation.
1: My pleasure, Anne. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Coming up in the ring with Trish Stratus. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Is there someone you want to learn more about? Drop us a line, info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer will be right back on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to In Conversation with Ann Romer on 1059 The Region. Canada's own Trish Stratus, what a powerhouse. Celebrated as one of World Wrestling Entertainment's all time greats, she is a seven time women's champion and a WWE Hall of Famer. Health and fitness have always been at the core of her many successful ventures. A premier lifestyle brand called Stratosphere innovative health and wellness products, a line of fitness DVDs, yoga, by the way, is her passion, and a growing, glowing acting career. Now let's add family to that core, her inner strength, her secret weapon. Trish Stratus is happily married with children. From the mat to movie making to motherhood and everything in between, please welcome Trish Stratus to In Conversation. What a wonderful thing to have you with us, Trish.
2: Well, thank you so much, Anne. It's great to chat with you again.
0: So, how do you go from being a York University student to a pro wrestler? <laughs> Easy answer. You have York University's professors go on strike. <laughs> <laughs> so what what does that mean?
2: That's the true story. so i was uh, I was in my third year. I was ready, on my way, doing all of the work I had to do to go towards, uh, working towards medical school and, and that was my ultimate goal. And um, York University professors went on strike and we were basically waiting around and a few opportunities fell into place at the time that allowed me to then pursue. Uh, a wrestling career. I got discovered by a fitness uh, publishers. So I did a little fitness modeling, and then I got discovered by WWE, and the rest is history.
0: <laughs> WWE is a world that I love to watch, but I don't understand how how challenging was it to immerse yourself in that world and not only stay afloat but to actually thrive. So you didn't just survive; you thrived. Um,
2: Well, it was a challenge, like looking back, you know, when you're in the midst of it, you just kind of, you're on autopilot, you're just doing it. Looking back, I definitely, uh, I know it was, I mean, 300 days of the year. We were traveling, um, sacrificing everything from your best friend's, you know, first baby being born to weddings to, you know, all kinds of things. So um, it was a big sacrifice, but it was something, I I mean, you know, we talked about passion earlier, but, you know, wrestling. From a kid i mean i love wrestling i grew up went to make gardens when i was a kid and so to be able to you know have this professional with sort of a dream come true and to be able to have you know to be athletic and to be a theatrical kind of like a, a hybrid that's kind of what i was doing uh, was just perfect for me um so i loved it and i mean uh i found the balance um you know there was basically when i found yoga when i you know discovered yoga in my life um that's when i was able to really enjoy the ride the first half of my career was a crazy phonetic pace where it was just like go 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 and and focus on you know getting on that plane and then um you know traveling traveling and not really paying attention to the journey and then after yoga happened and it kind of entered my life i sort of stopped and smelled the roses a little more and i was like oh my gosh i'm going to be in memphis i should go to graceland and you know that kind of thing so I enjoyed, I, I took it, as, you know, more as a blessing as opposed to a curse. Like, oh, I got it go on the road. And it was like, oh, okay, what am I doing this week? What can I, how can I maximize this opportunity? Um, and then, you know, just performance-wise, um, yoga obviously enhanced that as well. But um, I loved what I was doing out there. You know, and that's kind of the thing, I guess, when people say if you're passionate about something, you can do your best and it's worth the sacrifices that you endure.
0: You know, it strikes me that it was very competitive in the ring, but very competitive outside of the ring as well is that the case? Was that the case?
2: Um, in what way? What do you mean?
0: Well, your, the performance in the ring when you were wrestling, that was very competitive, but also just yeah. trying to be the best and also trying to be the one outside of the ring. Was that challenging as part of WWE?
2: I'll tell you, it was challenging as a woman because there really wasn't a place for women at the time. When I was doing my thing, and I was sort of in my prime, um, women were more like this sort of sideshow. We were kind of walking the men to the ring, speaking on their behalf, we were called managers or valets, and so that was the role I was initially given, and um, you know, with my tomboy background and just my athletic background, I, I knew I could do more, I knew I was capable of more. I had done the training to do more as well. And so when an opportunity came, um, they had actually no women's division at the time, and they decided to bring back the women's division, and I became champion for the first time. And that was a huge weight on my shoulders. it was like, okay, we're bringing back the women's division. There's going to be a, 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 you know, an effort from everyone, from our producers to our athletes to everyone involved, that we're going to focus on this thing and we're going to really try and build it. And I'm the champion. So it was a huge pressure, and it was a new thing to see. You know, we had to like sort of reeducate the fans to be like, we weren't just eye candy. We could do it like the men and perform to the same level as the men, because, you know, um, at at this point, we're still doing the 300 days a year. We're still keeping up ourselves, you know, the the physicality of what we're doing, plus also trying to look great as well. That's what the women have to do on top of that all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it took a while. That was probably the biggest challenge was kind of um, getting over that hump of of getting that acceptance from the fans and having them then appreciate us as, as equal athletes in the ring. Um, and then that equaled eventually, you know, working towards getting more ring time, equal storyline time, and just the amount of television time devoted towards the women's stories uh, than the men's stories. And so that was kind of my work and uh, most gratifying. It, it was a constant work. It was getting to work every single day, every single week, rather, and just being like, what can we do to move up a notch again this mm-hmm. week? Uh, so that was the work. But, uh, I mean, we if you look at what the women are doing now, I can say the work we did back then certainly made an impact, and, and there's a whole new... You know, I'd like to say we changed the perception of what this female can offer in the world of sports entertainment.
0: You know, Trish Stratus, you're not just another pretty face. You're really smart as well. Why did you retire at such an early age and stage in your life?
2: Um, I was. Uh, There's a number of things. I, okay, there was my contract had come up, and I had to make a decision. Um, I knew. I felt at my like at the point I was in my career, I just felt satisfied with what I had accomplished. I was 30 at the time. I felt like 30 was a nice age to, like, you know, I don't want to be out there going, "Eh, she's pretty good looking for for an older chick. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want that. But I really just felt satisfied. I mean, I had worked with all the girls. You know, there was a handful of um, female athletes that were available to work, like, in the ring. Um, And I had kind of worked with every one of them. I had been, I was a uh, six-time champion at the time. Uh, I ended up retiring, becoming a seven-time champion. So I felt like I just really had checked everything. No one had ever accomplished seven-time champion before, so I felt like I had just done everything I wanted to do within the industry. And um, you know, I knew—I mean, I'd been with my high school sweetheart since oh, high school, and we were just patiently waiting. We knew that we didn't want to take a quick little wedding and go on a quick honeymoon, so I could go back and you know, go back on the road kind of thing and take off only a weekend or something. So we kind of like, I closed that chapter. Um, I open up the next chapter, which was to devote time to my family. Um, also, one of the things that happened is my mom got diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, during that thought process when I was trying to make the decisions and it was an easy decision then to make. It was just like the universe nudging me like this is time for family. Let's yeah. go this way. Um, and I, you know, easily made that decision and, and, and got that opportunity to be with my mom during treatment and things like that. She's, um, she's recovered and, and, and uh, in remission now, thankfully. And um, yeah, and then I stepped away from the business uh, 2006 is when I retired, which is
0: so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> you you also got married at around that time. So your childhood sweetheart, as you mentioned, Ron, who's been with you through thick and thin, it seems yeah. as if you've been, I think I did the calculation, I think you've been together, either dating or married for almost 28 years. Is that about right?
2: You got it. I know. I can't believe I say that. Sometimes I'm like, aren't I 28? Though no, I'm not. Okay, good. Checking. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we've been. It's insane. Like we've been together for all. You know. I mean. He was with me when I was, you know, in, well, we we, we were friends in high school, actually like best friends through high school. And he was with me during university. There was a time where I wanted to be a doctor, so I was, you know, we were spending our time knowing he wanted to make a name for himself in his industry, which is in the construction world. And I was trying to, you know, I was volunteering. I was working uh, late shifts. I was was studying late at school. I was doing field hockey. I was, you know, just doing all these things that you needed to do in order to get a good resume to go to med school. And he just stood by and, and we were both knew we were ultimately going to end up like with all the time in the world together. And so, yeah, like those years together, like seven years on the road, you know, sometimes like how did you guys manage that? It's like actually in a good way, think of this. Um, well, we were together, so I would travel for shows Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday would be our live television show. So I was home for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in time to do laundry and hang out with Ron. <laughs> and, you know, they say like, absence makes the fun fun and it really did, you know, it was like we had super amazing concentrate time when we we're together and of course he came on the road once in a while with me and we made the most of our holidays in between and things like that. But you know, and he's a fan of wrestling too, so that helps. You he and I both grew up loving wrestling, watching wrestling. As a young couple we went to wrestling together, you know, so um it was something we we're both passionate about and just realized the sacrifice and an amazing opportunity that that I had at the time.
0: Talk about passion. Your son Max, who is I believe seven and Maddie is almost four. What, yep. do, what do they mean to you, trish?
2: oh, they're they're my they're my why. You know, they're the reason we work so hard, the reason we try to become a, a you know strong role model um in the work I do, and you know the, the the people I influence, um and they're just they're just amazing. they 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 were I mean, I've always wanted to become a mother. That was something I always wanted. And even leaving the business at 30, you know, parenthood was something that we definitely wanted to go to. Of course, we wanted to live as a couple first, <laughs> since we had it for so many years with me on the road. But um, yeah, that was, uh, you know, something we couldn't wait to settle down and have our, our little babies. And mm. you know, we had a little bit of difficulty with some um, fertility things. You know, some issues that came about just because um, when you're a workaholic, apparently it doesn't work out. Your ovaries don't like when you work too much and you don't know, sleep enough. So, you know, uh, that allowed me to find balance in my life. I feel like everything's a signal from me to like, oh, I'm just going to let you know you need to find some more balance in your life and in your body, you know, and so, um, but they were, you know, they, 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 they opened up my eyes to so many different things about finding balance, finding patience, um, and then, you know, they were the result of me finding balance, finding patience, and, um, of course, as a parent, you also <laughs> you see that every day, like last week when I had my son home for remote learning, Patience
0: is so important. <laughs> <laughs> you better believe it. So you're an accomplished actress, and Christmas in the Rockies will air Christmas Eve on City TV at 7 p.m. How meaningful is that when it comes to your career, but also the timing of the release of the movie?
2: I'm so excited. It, it was. I mean, first of all, this movie. Is so sweet and so lovely, which um, I you know I can watch it with my kids. My last movies have been really Trish Straticy, if I can say that. Yeah. You know, you think of Trish if you want to cast me as an action, you know, kick butt female, you know, action person. And so that's kind of how my, my movies have been. So they haven't seen those ones yet. Um, so it'd be nice to, like, watch a nice movie with them. And, and, and honestly, I, I mean... I think if anyone says like, oh no, I don't watch those movies. Yes, you do. Christmas. Everyone loves the Christmas movies. I don't care if they say they're cheesy or whatever you want to see That's what you love about them, right? So um, to be in it, like, I don't know who's more excited when I got the gig was my mom or myself. We we're like, oh my
1: god, a Christmas movie! <laughs>
2: <laughs> so and, and then you know, we we filmed it during COVID time. So that was uh, an interesting thing to do as well. Which uh, you know that was uh, we were one of the first productions that got greenlit, and um, so that was an interesting thing to navigate, um, but uh, quite an experience, that's for sure. Mm.
0: You are a powerhouse, unstoppable, and oh so lovely. Trish Stratus, thank you for joining us in conversation. Thanks, Ann. I appreciate it so much. Trish Stratus, a role model for women in and out of the ring, and Mark Tewksbury leading the way, breaking barriers, helping others be their best. I think that went swimmingly, don't you? <laughs> Let's take the plunge again next week. I'm Ann Romer. Bye for now. Follow In Conversation with Ann Romer on Twitter at 1059 The Region. This is 1059 The Region.